Yeah. Scripture reading um, today, taken from the Luke, um, chapter 14, verse 12 to 24. If you are using the um, church Bible, the black one, you can find it on uh, page 739. Luke, chapter 14, verse 12. Okay. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come for everything, it's um, now ready. But they all, um, sorry, <laughs> but they all um, began to make excuses. The first said, I have just uh, bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them, try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, as I can't, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became, uh, became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly onto the street and um, alleys, of lane, uh, alleys of the town and bring to uh, the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still um, more. Then the master told his servants, Go out to the roads and country lane and make them come in so that my house will be full. My house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is a word from the Lord. Thanks very much. If you can have your Bibles open to those pages, that would be great. Let me clear this up. There's a lot going on out in the world, uh, in the world so let's pray that we can focus on God's Word um, at this time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God, and we thank you that you love to speak to us. And we pray that you will shape and form us this morning, that we may go and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John Stott said that the gospel has to remain prickly in order for it to be the gospel. That goes against uh, this idea that Christianity is there to make us feel good, to, to, uh, that's so popular around us. Jesus was never about making people feel good. He came to really to point people to himself, to bring salvation to people. 
And he is really prickly in this story. He's not a very polite house guest, is he? He went to eat as a guest to a house of a prominent Pharisee, we're told in verse 1. And he saw these people scrambling to the best seats. And he told them the story of how then the people who want to be exalted, want to be exalted, they will be humiliated. And people who are humble, how he will lift them up. He doesn't stop there. He then says to the host, the person who invited him and all these other distinguished people, he tells him in verse 12, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbor. If you do, they might invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, which you just gave, but when you give a banquet in the future, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Can you imagine how the host must have felt, how awkward that moment must have been? And he doesn't stop there. Somebody says awkwardly, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then he just goes, are you sure you will make it? He tells a story that ends with verse 24. Um, Verse 24, I tell you, not one of these men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. He's concerned about people's souls. He's not concerned to make people feel good. That's not what he's about. He's prickly. And the gospel must remain prickly in order for it to be, for it to be gospel. And I think I want to go through the reasons why the gospel is prickly. And number one, the kingdom of God is prickly. The gospel is prickly because the normal markers that divide and separate people are erased. By the grace of Christ, all are invited and everyone is equal in God's eyes. It says that uh, Jesus tells this story that says it transcends, the invitation transcends all the normal social status, social divisions, and geography. The host, the one, um, the host is God, and he sends out invitation to all people. The respectable people are invited. But they turn the, uh, uh, turn the invitation down. Then the invitation is extended to the streets and alleys to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These are people who couldn't pay the host back. They are included. Then the host tells the servant to go out into the far roads and country lanes to bring in the foreigners who had not even heard of the host. And if you're asking, well, this parable isn't so much about the order when these people are invited, but the point is that everybody is invited. Everybody is invited to come to this feast. And we know that Jesus lives this life. He went and ate with people regardless of their social standing. He raised the social boundaries, normal boundaries, um, which was scandalous. He eats with tax collectors. Next chapter, we see how he eats with Zacchaeus. He eats with sinners and prostitutes. And you see the revolutionary nature of eating with them. He's not there to serve them. He's not doing a a food bank to, to serve them. He invites them to come and eat with them. What he's doing is he's befriending them. He's saying, the kingdom of God has come for you, and I want you to be my friend. I want you to come to my kingdom. The normal line of division that applies, that's so important to people who are outside, does not apply to Jesus. Isn't that prickly? And there's a deeper level that he's speaking there as well. 
since the invitation we find is the invitation to fellowship with God. He's talking about people who had once been excluded in the worship of God. It was, of course, open to the Pharisees and the Jews, the people who God had entrusted this promise originally. But then the invitation is now given to the group mentioned in verse 21. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the, and the lame. And according to Leviticus 21, 17 through 20, these groups were the, uh, group, uh, with physical handicaps were originally uh, excluded from entering the temple. They were not allowed to worship God in the temple. But you see, he's king. He's inviting them now. He's inviting them to come and partake in his kingdom. And there's another group. The host tells the servant to go out into the roads and country lanes. For, to compel them to come. And this, of course, is about Gentiles like us. They too once were not allowed to enter the temple of God at the threat of death penalty. But they are now invited. They are now compelled to come and eat with the host, with the king. And this is the set, about the second volume of Luke's uh, writing, Acts of the Apostles. And he writes about how the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth. The kingdom of God is for everyone. The normal divisions that had been does not apply anymore. And sadly, the world is full of divisions. Sometimes they're imposed by governments and those in power. I mean, even think about nationalities and sometimes how arbitrary these divisions are. But we also tend to create divisions for ourselves. We divide people according to their social status, intelligence, appearance, ethnicity, gender, wealth, education level, skin, skin tone, appearance, uh, nationality, political affiliations. And as we talked about last week, we always want to mingle with the right group. We divide people and we want to move up and want to mingle with the right group. And on this side of eternity, I'm afraid that this will always be the case. There will always be divisions. We will we were te- too tempted to divide people. And I think we see this happening in Hong Kong. Division uh, uh, along alongside the political affiliations, pro-Beijing or not. I do want to say it's a commendable thing to work for democracy, especially in the way that the students have been doing it, who are committed to nonviolence and peaceful resistance. But even if the democracy that they're seeking is achieved, we will find other ways of dividing people, dividing ourselves further. I come from the U.S. where there's deep divisions between Republicans and the Democrats, where they they vilify each other, they demonize each other. Someone want higher taxes and someone want lower. Look at the democracies around the world. Once again, I think it's a great thing to stand for justice but we should know the limits, limits of politic, politics and limits of human nature. We will find more ways of dividing ourselves. And this will be the case except in the kingdom of God. And to a degree, I hope that you'll see that in the church that lives the vision of the kingdom of God here on earth now. To a city that is so stratified and divided the church must offer hope. We must, we are all people who have, inv- who have accepted this invitation. This means that we cannot be a homogenous community. We have to recognize all the differences that are here. This means, but in our differences, that we must be united under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
that we must start erasing distinctions that are so important to other people to say here, they're not important so much anymore because we are united under the kingship of Jesus Christ. I know that there are families being divided over this protest, friendships being broken, But before being pro-democracy or pro-Beijing, we must first be citizens of kingdom of God. We must be a community that loves each other, that prefers the other people's needs, to turn the other cheek, protects the weak, exalts the humble. We must speak against violence and show that the kingdom of God is marked by grace. Instead of having our anger turn to violence, we must passionately speak for justice, but also offer the other cheek. And I know that this is the division that's on our minds right now, but we must also realize that there are bigger divisions in this city that will outlast these protests. Divisions over wealth, ethnicity, status. And we must stop preferring and discriminating based on these things in the church. So let's ask ourselves, what kind of a community are we building? Are we creating around us? as people of God. Think about who you're mingling with. Who's in your diary? Who are your friends? Who are our friends? Have we invited the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, those who are marginalized and traditionally excluded? Is the community we're creating look like the one that Jesus was creating? Or is it just like ones by the rest of the world? Consider the difference between the banquet that Jesus hosts and the banquet that the world hosts. And if it's, I, I, I take this to be a great challenge in my life, and I hope you do as well. And if the, the church, our church, Shatin Church, attracts only the middle class, only the respectable, only people who are like us, the religious people, in Tim Keller's words, this can only mean one thing, that we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Who are we inviting to our dinner tables? Are we preaching the same gospel that Jesus preached? Are we being pricked by the gospel? The kingdom of God is for everyone, and it can be for everyone because God offers it for free for everyone. And for some, this is another reason why it's so prickly. See how the host offers this banquet in verse 16. A certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. And after a certain a time, he sent the servants to people uh, and to, uh, to say, Come, for now everything is ready. The feast is prepared, and it is now ready. And then Jesus he reveals in verse 24, He is the host. He is the host that uh, the, the hosts this banquet. And it's offered free of charge. It's not like the Chinese wedding banquet when people come. And, you know, it's free, but you bring your red packets stuffed with money. It's not like parents' birthday party, you know, where it's free, but the children sort of sort out the bills at the end. At the, end. the guests are not asked to bring anything to this feast, to any drinks, desserts. This is a lavish party that has been prepared and made by the host himself and offered for free for everyone. And the fact that the banquet is free is highlighted by, by the fact that host offers, um, invites those who cannot repay him. The poor, the crippled, blind, blind and the lame. He's told to go out into the roads and bring strangers as new guests. This is a free event. And the kingdom of God is free 
because Christ has paid the cost. It's a costly banquet, but Christ has paid the cost. He went to the cross, paid the penalty for our rebellion, satisfied God's righteous anger towards sin so that we might be able to dine with him. We often sing this song, don't we? Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. The price is paid. And that's great news that the kingdom of God has offered, has been offered for us for free. Once again, I think of the struggle for justice, struggle for democracy, but justice, peace, righteousness, the glory, glorious kingdom is offered to us for free because of what Christ has done for us. We don't have to struggle. This is not our fight. Jesus has fought that fight for us, and he will bring that kingdom down here on earth, and he offers that for us for free. But I think a lot of people actually have problem with taking things for free. We don't like receiving things for free because we like earning our own way. We feel like if we have worked for it, it's properly mine. I've earned it, and this is mine to keep. There's that sense of achievement, and we don't like handouts because it feels like begging. So we still insist on paying our way to this kingdom. And this is why those who, uh, I think this is why those who were originally invited turn it down. Because they think that this banquet, it's something maybe that they can afford, they can do by themselves. They don't think of this as this special thing, once-in-a-lifetime banquet opportunity. You know, I've never been invited to the White House, but if Obama ever extended that sort of invitation, I'd go. I'd move the mountains to get there, to sit next to him and tell him what I think. (laughs) But you see... People don't think like this. The guests didn't think like this because maybe they think, well, I could afford this. I could do this myself. And maybe they think they deserve it. They can pay for it. They, don't, they miss the importance of this dinner. They can't. Um, and that's why I think the poor, the crippled, blind, and the lame, Jesus says, and the foreigners will fill this kingdom because Jesus is giving us sort of the spiritual meaning here. The kingdom of God is for the humble, for those who do not think that they deserve it. It's for those who realize that Jesus paid for something that we cannot pay for ourselves. It's for those who realize that this is a joyous invitation. This is not something that they can achieve by themselves. This is an invitation that they cannot pass up. So, are we like the Pharisees? Do we think like the Pharisees, or do we think like the poor, the crippled, lame, and the blind? And you might not think, you might not think you are like the Pharisees who think they can afford, they can get to the kingdom by themselves, earn their way in. But if you are not like this, why do you insist on bringing your lasagna to the dinner, to this feast? As if, if you work really hard to make this lasagna, that you can bring this lasagna as a worthy gift for this feast. That you, if you work hard enough, that if I work on my righteousness enough, you know, if, if only time that you think that you are worthy of the kingdom is when you have lived righteously, you are living like the Pharisees. Somebody who thinks that I can deserve this, I can earn my way into this kingdom. But you see, that's pride. 
The kingdom is for the humble because it's free. It's paid for. Christ has paid for it and offers it uh, for free. It's by grace. And it's prickly. This is prickly because only the humble can receive it. Only the humble ask for it. And finally, the gospel is prickly because it says that the kingdom of God will not be for everyone. That Jesus ends uh, his story with verse 24. I tell, you the, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get the taste of my, of my banquet. And this uh, tells us something that's very important about God's kingdom and his invitation. When this, kingdom, when this invitation comes, it has to be the priority. When the gospel comes, when the kingdom of God comes, it has to be the priority. Some of these reasons, excuses, seem like a pretty good excuse. You know, it concerns their work. I I just bought this field. I I bought five oxens. Another, I think this is the best one, more relevant to me. I just got married, so I can't come. One by one, they declined these invitations. And here's the thing. So often, we, ha- we live our lives, and we want the gospel to fit into our life, agendas that we have set. So we go on buying our fields, buying our businesses, computers, and oxen, and, if not, and we want God to come and bless our work. And if it's not work, people want, to come and get, uh, people want God to come and give success to their relationships in their marriages in their relationship with parents, children, colleagues. But you see, we must, not be care- we must be careful not to presume that God will bless what we are already doing. In fact, do you see how disruptive this invitation is? How it interrupts the normalcy of their life together. And it asks, us, it asks them to re- respond immediately and decisively, even if it's going to cost you much. It tells us that the gospel will be inconvenient for many, that it will get in the way of our work, it will get in the way of our life, it will get in the way of our relationships. But the gospel needs to come first. And I love how I, I just read this. And I love how Tim Keller puts it. My kingdom, he writes... My kingdom, obedience to me as your king, commitment to business of the kingdom has to come first. If my rules and my values make it hard for you to make, much, uh, make as much money, if my values and my law and my rule over your life means that suddenly you have a far smaller group of people out of which you can be married, suddenly your field is cut down. If my kingdom cramps your style and you refuse to come, that shows you have not entered my kingdom. I must come first. I must have that authority in your life. And it's no surprise that following this story, Jesus explains what the cost of being a discipleship is. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, children, his brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He must come first. And once again, I look to what's going on in Hong Kong, and I admire the zeal for democracy. But I also wonder, what would it be like if Christians were zealous 
Christians were fighting for the priorities of his kingdom in the way that these students are so passionate about. If we're fighting for equality, if we're fighting for justice for migrant workers amongst us and people around us, if we're zealous for evangelism, if we're going out and saying that that the kingdom has come, the good news has come, he must come first. So let me ask you, the church, is the gospel the priority in your life? Who's Who's driving your agenda? Is it you or is it Christ? Are you following Christ? Or are you constantly asking Christ to follow you, bless you in the work that you are doing? The gospel must be inconvenient. The Christ must remain prickly. Jesus is the Lord, and we are called to follow him. And those who have not yet turned to Christ, let me ask you, what are your excuses why have you not responded to his invitation? Is it really because you're not convinced that Jesus died and rose again? Is it really because of the sufferings around the world? Is it really because of these questions? Or could it be that you just you don't want to change? You find the gospel inconvenient, priced too costly. You find Christian way of living not the way that you want to live because you like the way of life now. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians, to people who might be thinking like you. He says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of my salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. The feast is ready. He has prepared it. And he wants people like you and me, people who are out there to come and dine with him, to befriend him, to eat with him. And I pray that you will answer that call. When we pray together, and I'm going to just say a prayer um, for those who might be thinking about inviting Christ into your heart as well. So if you are one of these people, please do pray this prayer with me. And do also, you're very welcome to come after the service to talk to Andy and others around us. We'd be very happy to pray for you. Let's pray together. Lord, this past week, our minds have been filled with so many images, so many distractions, so many things that burden our hearts. Lord, we long for your kingdom to come. Lord, we long for your justice to come. We long for your righteousness to come to Hong Kong, to the people who are wrestling, people who are fighting, people who are struggling. Lord, we thank you that you have paid the price that we may enjoy this feast for free. We thank you for the justice that you've won the righteousness that you've won, the peace that you have won. And Lord, help us to be um, a community of hope, people of hope, people who can offer this hope to the people who are outside, people who don't yet know you. Root us, Lord, in who you are and what you have done 
in your kingdom that we may offer this hope to the people who don't have it. And Lord, there are those of us who have not answered your call yet, your invitation yet. Lord, we invite you to come into our life. We want to eat with you. We want to be uh, your disciples. Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you. We confess that we like living our life our own way, that we have insisted on it. We have rebelled against you in that way. Lord, forgive us for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to enjoy the peace that you have given us. We give our life to you. We want to make you and your priorities our priority. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.